You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, well, today we are talking about Genesis 1. This year, we are going through the liturgy. As you've seen, we've already had a few extra liturgy elements going on today. Um, But uh, um, we're choosing passages that show up in Shane Claiborne's uh, Common Prayer book. And uh, today's particular passage lands us in the one that you just read out of Genesis 1, the creation story. And I found that when it comes to the creation story, most people's focus is on the wrong thing. Because in evangelical circles, we're always arguing about, did God create the world literally, or did he do it through science? And where's the, where's the like, what are we allowed to believe, and so on and so forth. And it's very strange, because a lot of evangelicals will make this conversation about how God created the world to be like central to whether you're a Christian or not. As though Jesus was like, I've come, you need to have faith in me, believe me. Also, if you don't believe that God literally created the world, you're going to hell. You know, it's just like, there was never that statement, but that's the way that we preach it. And I have found that anyone who talks about literal creation has already implemented science into their view. And so when someone says, you have to believe the Bible, the Genesis creation count exactly as it is, nobody actually goes so far as to actually preach it the way that it is. So just as a reminder, if you're unaware of how ancients saw the world, they believed in a flat earth conception of the universe in which we are kind of like an air pocket in the middle of a vast ocean in which God stretched out the ocean and then left some up in the air and put a kind of crystal dome over us so that the ocean wouldn't cave in on us. And then left the rest of the ocean on the ground. And we're just kind of this air pocket protected by this dome of sorts. That is the way that Genesis 1 describes the world being created. It's this thing called a firmament or an expanse, depending on which interpretation of the Bible you're using. So when people come and say, you have to believe Genesis 1 literally exactly as it's written, I'm always like, so you believe that we have a glass ceiling over the earth and that we're just an air pocket in the middle of the ocean? Like we're Atlantis or something? That's, that's what you're telling me I have to literally believe. Like, well, no, no, no. Scientifically, we know the earth is round. It's like, so you believe in science. What you want me to believe is your interpretation of what parts of science are allowed, but not literally how it's described in Genesis. Genesis is a, uh, the ancient conception of the cosmos is very strange. And when you look at Egypt's conception, uh, it gets stranger. It's all mythological. Uh, The stars, the sun, the moon, they're either inside of that glass ceiling or they're like right around it, kind of attached to it. And maybe the glass ceiling is kind of turning into the earth so all the stars are moving. Like this is their their attempt to explain like when I look up at the stars at night, they're they're in the same formation, but they move slightly. You know, they're trying to make sense of what they see. And so God gives them a creation story that matches their understanding of the universe because God's not about to tell them modern science, right? He did not go to Moses and be like, Moses, watch this. 
I'll just prick some blood out of you. Do you know in this, there's a million little pieces of DNA. And if you scan it, you will find your specific chromosome. You know, like Moses would be like, Lord, I do not understand this witchcraft of which you speak. You know, like it, it just would not register with them. So God, God speaks to people in their time and place exactly as they need to hear it. But uh, what Genesis 1 is, however, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a story giving us understanding of theology. And it's a story giving us understanding of your place in the universe. And all of that is missed because our arguments are always about, did God create the world through science or through a literal exact telling as the Bible tells it? And for me, I have no problem with science. I have no problem with evolution. I, I do believe that there is only one God and only one God created everything. But I don't think God really cared about explaining the exact way in which he did it. So what are the other themes that show up in the creation story if we calm down for a minute and actually pay attention to what Genesis looks like compared to what other ancient creation stories looked like. Today I want to give you seven ones, seven quick themes that you see. Number one, God created all things. If evolution is fine with you, fine. But like as a Christian, you're going to get back to this point that God is the, the means behind the evolution. God is the means uh, behind the design. Um, so in the end, like we're still one God, one creator. That, that doesn't put us at odds with anything else. In fact, Augustine, back in the early centuries of the church, he, he rebuked the church for getting mad at science all the time and said, look, if somebody comes up to you and says that science is different than what you see in scriptures, like you shouldn't rebuke them because if, if they're showing you hard, cold facts and evidence of the way in which the world works and you say that they're dumb because your Bible says something else, if they think you can't believe hard, cold facts, they're not going to trust you on your scriptures. It's like Augustine argued way in the early centuries of the church like to give space for the possibility of science. I should also say this for anyone who feels a little offended. I don't care if you believe in literal creation. Like, it doesn't bother me either way. Uh, the only thing for me with uh, the scientific direction is it gives, usually it gives outsiders more space to have conversations with you that we're closed off to if we don't. But we all end up in the same place regardless of what we believe. So I, I am not offended or have any problems with literal creation. It just doesn't hit for me and what I think God was trying to do with the Bible. Secondly, God rested in Eden. We call this the Sabbath, but in ancient creation stories, when a God rests somewhere, that means he's taking up residence in that place. This means that Eden was a temple, and that when Israel was retelling creation stories as other people told them, instead of Marduk or this God or that God resting in this place, they talk about how Yahweh rests in Eden. This is why Adam and Eve run into God just walking through Eden. Of course, this is where he lives. This is his sacred place. This is why when Adam and Eve sin, they have to be cast out of Eden because this was God's sacred place where sin cannot coexist with him. And so now they have to be removed from that space. But Eden is God's temple. If you've ever wondered, like, where does God live on the earth? Eden was the spot. Uh, in fact, one of the prophets is going to say that Eden was a, a mountain. 
And if you know anything about that ancient culture where heaven was up there, earth was down here, mountaintops were always the middle ground where heaven and earth met. And therefore, you might expect that you'd run into something heavenly on the highest parts of earth. So Eden is God's temple. It's up on a mountain. It's where heaven and earth meet, and it's where God dwells, and it's a sacred space. But all temples, all temples have images in them. We often call them idols, but in Hebrew, it's not interpreted image or idol. It's just salam, and it can be interpreted in English in either way. But an image is something that you look at in order to get a, a grasp a visual understanding of what a god is like. So if you see, if you walk into the temple of some god and you see that they are this vicious-looking monster-like thing, by staring at that image, you're getting an understanding of, of what this person's god is like. They're vicious, they're angry, they want to eat us, they're chaotic, they're this or that. Well, God takes up residence in his temple, and he raises up a Salem, an a image but God also tells us not to make images. It's because he already made one. It's you. Humans are God's image. They're not made of rock. They, they can breathe. They can move. They're God's representation on the earth. So when people look at you as a human... They should be gazing upon the thing that belongs in God's presence, and they should expect to encounter you as a representation of who God is. So when you do the kinds of things that God cares about, you are representing who God is on the earth. You are representing the sacred space of God's presence. And people and creatures and the earth come to understand what God is like by gazing upon you. The Salem of God, the holy ones, the thing that God constructed himself, not a thing that humans created. Now, we understand that a lot of people get really um, twisted over time as we give in to sin. And then there's some spaces where we're not representing God at all anymore because sin has so overtaken us. But that never makes you not the image of God. All humans are made in the image of God. Some people just need that cleaning up to become what they are supposed to be, that, that right representation. But images, too, in, in other cultures, only the king was made in God's image. Only the king was representative of God. Everybody else was like lowly, less human kind of people, slaves and so on. But when Israel tells their creation story, they don't do that. Both men and women are created in God's image, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're a slave, a servant, a master, a king. Everyone in Hebrew thinking is made in the image of God, which was a stark contrast with the other ancient creation stories, where only like one person, the king, carried that route, carried that kind of power. But God makes all humans and calls them his image. Genesis also shows us that there's a cosmic order, and this is going to become important so that people understand their place in the cosmos, and so we understand as humans, as images, our authority in the cosmos. We are actually um, put in charge of everything. Yeah, God made other things before us, but 
they're not better because they're first. We are the peak of creation. Humans are at the top. And so all the things that you guys just read in our liturgy today, the things that creepeth on the ground and, and the, the uh, cattle and the whales and the fish and the fowl and the birds and all that, God makes all that and then he makes you to be a representation of who he is to all of that. So when a bird or a insect or a land animal or a fish comes in contact with you, it is then your space to be in charge of those situations. I, don't try this with like a lion or something, but you are, you are the master, you are at the top, and it's your job to kind of cultivate and take care of the rest of that stuff. It helps you understand like, as humans, you have been called into a task. There's an order in which you have carried on a higher glory, as Paul's gonna kind of rephrase it, that fish have glory and uh, stars have glory and, and cattle have glory, but when it gets to humans, like you're carrying a, a different level of glory and you're going from glory to glory because of the resurrection seeds inside of you. Now, the way in which you worship in Eden is not necessarily through music. Music is great. I bet they sang in Eden. I bet God taught them a few songs. But worship is terraforming. It's taking care of the earth. One of the primary ways in which people worshipped in the Old Testament was by farming. Because God called people specifically to go out and subdue the earth. And it's not subdue in the sense that like, Yes, we're going to draw oil out of the ground because we're in charge and we can do whatever we want. It's subdued in the sense that like we were in this perfect place of Eden and the rest of the world is uncultivated. It's wilderness. It's got thorns. It's got thistles. It's, it's not really habitable. It needs some work. And God is saying that as we grow as a people and we're fruitful and multiply, we're eventually going to leave Eden, go to these other places that that need God's expression on it, and we're going to terraform. We're going to make the rest of the earth habitable. Where there's not grass, we're going to grow grass. Where a garden is needed, we're going to grow a garden. Where some beautiful flowers could really take off in an area, we're going to grow some flowers. Like Farming became an expression of worship because it was God's command to humans to cultivate the earth, to take care of it, to make the rest of the unedenic parts of the planet start to look like Eden. And so in that sense, you worship God by carrying out his commands. And you still do that today. That when you are working, it, we so often just talk about like ministry people as those who have calls on them. That's not the case. You are a human being made in the image of God. You all have calls upon you. And it's that call to terraform, to cultivate, to bring about Eden on the earth to make it in Jackson as it is in heaven. So when you go to work every day at your secular job, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. As Aisha walks in to take care of these elderly people who really need somebody's help, she's worshiping. That's the kind of things that God would do. That they would look on Aisha and see Yahweh in that moment being represented through her. This is exactly the kind of thing that God would do. That is Joel's doing graphic design and trying to imagine a, a world in which somebody can get some of their, their um, stories out there. Like he's creating space. 
for somebody else to have something to say. He's cultivating society. As Marie works with these kids who need a little extra help at school to understand things, she's meeting them in their, their spot. She's bringing heaven to Jackson. She's showing them who God is. Of course, the same thing goes on for each one of you. This is calling. This is, this is worship. Your work is worship. And so worship is taking care of the earth. It's bringing about society. It's bringing about culture. It's about implementing the kinds of things that God wants to do in the world. Another thing that we learned from the creation story is that we need to rest. And that we need to rest with God. That he actually calls us into his presence, not pushes us away from it. And that he at least staples down this idea that once a week, everybody just needs to chill. And everyone needs to chill and be with him. So that we can learn in his presence, so that we can breathe in his presence, so that we can get to know who he is. If you look at the other kinds of stories told in ancient creation, like humans were just slaves. The gods say that they made humans because they just needed food. <laughs> ah, we need someone to feed us so that we don't have to go out there and look for food and water and all that. So let's go ahead and make some humans and they can be our slaves and do our bidding. We don't care about them at all. Sure, maybe sometimes we'll bless them with something because that will keep a relationship going where they'll keep feeding us, but who cares about humans? Whereas the story that Hebrews tells is incredibly different than that. That God makes all people and puts them on the same plane and then invites them not to be workhorses, but to rest, to be with him in his presence to not have to run away from him or be treated as lesser, but to actually be invited into his sacred space because he loves you, not because you're his workhorse. Sure, you have stuff you'll need to do, but he doesn't see you as a slave. And the last one we'll hit on for today, creation's good. Creation was designed to be good. It's the Hebrew word tob, and it means, it can mean of like morally good, but it can also mean like aesthetically pleasing. Like creation, creation is designed to be good, and it can get thrown off. We all know that. We all know that because we're all designed to be good, and yet we all could tell stories to each other of times where we did not do good things. But ultimately, if everything was going the way that God would hope that it would go, it would be living into its goodness, into its original design. And we know that sin has corrupted the world after God designed the goodness, but part of what we're doing as, as God's people is trying to bring about that goodness again. Not to create goodness, because it's already there, but to wash off all the bad stuff to, to kind of bring about what is already underneath. And so when we look at these kinds of themes, like, I just feel like we, we completely miss so much of what the creation story wants to say. Because we're always like, blah, 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 evolution, blah, 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 literal. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, the richness of Genesis. Like, when the Hebrews wrote this, they were making huge theological statements. They were riffing off a kind of literature that already existed, creation literature. 
but they were telling the story so much different than everybody else told it. Where humans were elevated, where humans, all humans, were loved by God and treated as special and given dignity and power and authority. At the same time, we know that that's why there's evil in the world. It's because though God has given us power and authority, he has not dictated how we use it. And when people twist their power and authority that is still in their control to use it for negative means, well, that's what we call sin. That then disrupts what, what God intends to do and hopes to do. So let me say a prayer for you as we wrap up here. God, we thank you that you made us, and we thank you that we're special to you. We thank you that you trust us, and that you were willing to delegate some authority to us. We also recognize in our fallenness that that can go very, very wrong. Because the same people you delegated authority to, you looked at them a few chapters later and said that the hearts of, of humans were just focused on evil all the time and that you regretted making us because it had gone so opposite from what you had hoped. Yet even then, you didn't give up. Even then, you, you saved uh, Noah and his family and started fresh. And when we fell again, you, you went so far as to promise yourself to us and to send us Jesus and to fulfill the prophecy you gave to Eve that one day she would have a descendant that would put things right and step on the serpent that brought about this sin. Well, that's the story we live in now. We recognize that your spirit is now in us, that the seeds of resurrection are now in us as Christians, and that you are bringing about a new world where you're going to put everything right. The Bible ends where it started. It started with a plan to make the whole world into Eden, and it ends with the whole world looking like Eden. We're excited to partner with you right now as we terraform our little area of Jackson into heaven, as we worship you in that way. We're also excited to do that with you in the resurrection with whatever control you give us to, to bring about the fullness of Eden as you always planned. So here we are. We dedicate ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go now in peace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead and moves within you now, that heaven may break through in Jackson to the glory of God.